This is a Pivotal Conversations podcast. I have been extremely lucky on my journey with this podcast to chat with some really amazing people. And new people come to the podcast every week to listen. And so what we want to do with these lessons is take the little golden nuggets, the really important pieces of each conversation and bring them back to life for you. So hopefully it can change your mind, affect the way you think, or potentially give you a solution to a problem you're facing right now. Yeah, it's really so different scaling an agency and a product business. So I'm glad that you asked that question. At Willow and Blake, it was a very slow process to scale and it took the back seat to Frank Body for a long time, if I'm being perfectly honest. Mm-hmm. And acknowledging that it was taking the back seat was the number one step to being able to scale properly. So we brought on a new partner who acted as general manager and business development manager. And he was such a champion for the brand when we couldn't always be there. Now we've found a much better split between how we divide our time between the companies. So he was key to then um, nurturing the talent and the talent are what make Willow and Blake what it is. You know, they're such great such great brand thinkers Um, and being very particular with the type of clients that we wanted to work with. We don't work with everyone and anyone. We work specifically with startup brands and a lot of the time in the DTC space Mm -hmm. and challenger brands. So brands that, you know, really want to push the envelope and do something different to what their competitors Mm -hmm. are doing. That's our niche. It's still a really big niche. We work with those type of companies all over the world, but I'm not going to sit here and just produce some crappy run-of-the-mill advertising campaign that any other agency would do we want to produce things that are really interesting and thought-provoking and we want to work with clients that do that so you know being very deliberate and distinctive in who we want to work with Mm -hmm. was the key to scale and then putting the right people in place to do that um frank oh god (laughs) (laughs) i feel like this is this would have been an absolute I mean, just a, a roller coaster. Yeah, roller coaster is right. Because I was just about to say, it's there's nothing linear about the way that Frank scaled. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to jump all over the place here. There, okay, product was key. So we launched with the original coffee scrub, and it is a fantastic product, but it's not a grudge purchase by any means. No one needs to use a coffee scrub every single day. Mm -hmm. So it's one of those things that they'd buy and kind of dabble with a little bit. So we wanted to create a routine that was very much part of her daily beauty routine. So, Mm -hmm. you know, cleansers and moisturizers and things that we all do every single day, deodorants, body Mm -hmm. washes. So we built that product portfolio out over the course of a decade. And then part of the strategy was, okay, we've got the product now, where is she shopping for that product? I'm not just going to keep shoving a square peg in a round hole. She's not necessarily buying her deodorant and her body wash online. She's probably buying them in a retail setting as she remembers that she's about to run out or something like that. Okay, so let's put that product in front of her where she's shopping for it. And we call that our go-to-her strategy. So we expanded into brick-and-mortar retail throughout the world. And we were really deliberate with the type of retailers that we chose. It wasn't just about driving volume. It was about putting the right product in the right place at the right time for the customer. Mm. Um, accepting that growth goes like this, squiggling my fingers up and down if you're only listening to the audio. It's... Um, can I can I jump in and yeah. touch on that because I feel like um, there's a massive point there that, and you mentioned it. Not trying to, uh, was it square through circle hole or oh, yeah. the other way around? <laughs> Either way, it's bad. Um, but the go to her strategy because I feel like that was that. Like I look back at that and I, look, I think about it now and I go, that's amazing because most companies 
think let's just get more traffic. Hmm. Let's expand our product range. We'll sell it in. We'll go through the same channel. It's going to work. We're going to do this, right? But you guys actually go, no, no, no. Like, and, and I'd be interested to hear. Did you try that at the start, and then you found it didn't work, or was it just simply, hey, like, we're going to go, we're going to think a little bit deeper here and actually go, well, if we're going to expand, we we you know we we have to get the right marketing channel or the or you know get the product in the right area because I feel like that's something that will be really helpful for someone who probably has a product right now. They might maybe thinking about their second or third or expanding. It was a combination of we were already thinking about it because, you know, I think a key to a healthy business is decentralising risk. So if you've got all of your sales coming from a single channel, mm-hmm. what happens if something goes wrong there? You're up a very bad creek. Yep. Then um, we were predominantly marketing, marketing through Instagram and we were using a lot of, you know, basic performance marketing to attract our customer to frankbody.com and we went through the huge algorithm change that everybody experienced Mm. and it changed our business fundamentally we went from extremely affordable marketing through that channel to extremely you know extremely expensive and uh, we found the targeting a lot more difficult um and working with influencers became a lot more expensive basically all of the cogs that had been driving our marketing machine now (laughs) were getting stuck and so we had to completely rethink the way that we introduced our brand to people and, you know, look at how we could potentially be operating in a different way that wasn't so much like pushing shit uphill, which mm-hmm. is what it felt like to be in performance marketing at the time. Um, so we, we always find that it's not necessarily that it's full steam ahead with every channel. You, there's kind of that, you know, one channel starts to creep ahead. It's very much driven by macro factors in the world and that will start to pull back and the other one takes place. You know, for the last two years, we saw all of our dot-coms absolutely boom and we were, we'd just gone into so many huge retail settings that were closed for the better part of two years mm. and that completely deaccelerated those channels and now the world's opened up again so we see dot-com pulling back and our retail partners like Alter and Target in the US driving forward and there's such a big element of managing expectations especially at a, at a board level if you get to that point where you're reporting down year on year but then the commentary around that is so important because, mm. well, of course, dot coms down because all of the shops have opened up again and people want people want to go out into the real world and spend their money on that. So, looking at growth is such. It's just I find it so interesting and so complex because it's so layered and you can't control the outcome. All you can do is pull a couple of levers and see what the result is. How much do you think having the right people on the bus then plays a factor in all of that, right? Because you guys obviously, from just the language you're using, play a, you really care about that and having, you know, like firstly at Willow and Blake, but I'm assuming it's the same at, at Frank, um, going, you know, we're going to go through these kind of algorithm changes or, you know, pandemics and, and there's a lot of that stuff happening, but you guys are obviously still progressing forward and, and think very deeply around those layers. Obviously, a big part of that is getting the right people on the bus. These, you know, I'm assuming for you guys, it's like deep thinkers, creative, these kind of people. How much do you think that plays a, a, a role in your, in, or has played a role in your, your ability to kind of get to where you are right now? A huge role, and I shouldn't have overlooked that before. Our, you know, we started with a couple of co-founders who had to be jack-of-all-trades, and we did 
everything because that's what you do when you start a business. You mm. don't really have money a lot of the time to employ people. So you just get everything done yourself. Um, and then you slowly start to hire people who are better at doing those things than you. We're in a very fortunate position now, 10 years later, where we've got a great heads of department structure who are amazing leaders and also extremely high performers, which is, you know, the ultimate combination to find. But I um, I was listening to something the other day that my husband showed me. It was a Simon Sinek video and he was talking about... He's the man, isn't I mean, he? everyone loves Simon Sinek. <laughs> I, I'm a bit... Live with, yeah pick and choose when I like to listen to what he has to say. But this I found really interesting because he was talking about the way that they were choosing, um, you know, people for extreme, um, I'm trying to remember what section of the army it was, I can't remember, but basically like death missions. Oh, yeah. How they're going on them and how do you choose who's going to be on those missions with you and who's going to lead them. And he was looking at performance and trust on a chart and how you'd always choose the person who's, got a lot of trust and might be a lower performer and they're the people that you're going to build a really great team with. So it's not always about choosing the best of the best when it comes to skills, but choosing people that are always going to be there in the trenches with the rest of the team who are very much about seeing other people flourish and succeed and there's no competitiveness. It'd be really easy in a business like ours where you've got retail sales and dot-com sales for there to be so much competitive tension there, but we've spent a lot of time cultivating a you know, approach that is very much about a rising tide lifts all boats and everyone succeeds together. And so they're sharing mm. their knowledge and their wins and they are all in it together, no matter what part of the business that they work for. And it's taken us a long time to get there. Oh, of course. It's it's such a process, I, I would imagine. Um, it's really interesting you say that. So I don't know if you've read the book Good to Great, Jim Collins. I've read bits and pieces of it, yeah. yeah. So one of the principles in that is first who, then what. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was obviously good to great is about companies that obviously there's companies out there that become good but what makes the great companies great is he kind of penciled it down to five factors and and the first the first one is first who then what so get the right people on the bus and then you end up together figuring out how you get the bus to where it needs to go um and that kind of factors into what you're just saying then, you know. I read – that book is something I read once a year and I, I, I love it. Um, but, yeah, that definitely resonates um, with what you were just saying just then. It's so it's so important. You need to create a culture where the people that you then put on the bus are allowed to tell you where to drive, if we're going to go with this <laughs> analogy. Because yeah. there's a lot of business leaders that don't want to hear when they're doing something wrong and I hope that we've created a workplace – where, well, I mean, I see it all the time. We sit in our heads of department meeting with the founders and our senior leadership and we laugh because they'll call us out on things that we're doing wrong all the time or where we're holding up projects. And it's, yes, there's hierarchy. There has to be hierarchy for the business to work properly. But there's also very little ego. Um, so I'm a big believer in just owning when you're stuffing things up. Like if I'm holding up a project, I'm going to own that and put my hand up and say I'm the reason that this hasn't hit its deadline and give my staff the ability to say that as well rather than creating this workplace where things have to happen in secret by the water cooler. Yeah, we'll go, man.